0: We're going to continue in our series on the words about the church this morning. Uh, we're talking about deacon this morning. We, we briefly touched on this word very, very briefly in Bible class. Of course, we were talking about a different word in Bible class. As we think about this word, deacon, it's one of those words, as so many are, the transliteration, right? The the Greek word that has the sounds of the Greek, or the, the sounds that the letters make, and then we just use the English letters that have those sounds. And it is the word, of course, diakonos, and it's very, Forms. The Akanas is the noun. Uh, there's, of course, uh, different ones for the verb and the adjective and so on and so forth. It's one of the most important words in the New Testament. It doesn't appear that often, and yet the when it does appear, it describes something very important for the church, for the variety of different people and activities and things that people do in the church. And at the basic level, this word diakonos is defined very simply as one who renders service to another. That's it. Now, the second definition, you can, you know, you look at Greek dictionaries and you have like four or five different things. An attendant, a servant, one who executes a commission or a deputy. But at the basic level, basically servant, one who serves someone else. Now, like many words, this word used regular, regular ordinary Greek word. The Greeks use it as the regular ordinary word, and it evolved over time as the church used this word to mean something very specific in a religious context. There's a lot of words that are like this, that, that have specific sort of special meaning for religious contexts. But again, this is just a very basic word, and we first see it in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus. Jesus uses this word in Matthew chapter 20, which was read for us. Matthew 20, verse I'm going to start in verse 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked him for a favor. He said to her, What do you want? She replied, Permit these two sons of mine to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? They said to him, we're able. Oh, what hubris they have. He told them you will drink my cup you will. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give. Rather, it is for those whom has been prepared by my father. Now, what do they think they're asking? Well, they say the mom. I don't know how much of this is them and how much is the mom. It's hard to say. But of course, the mother, of course, is bringing them to him. She's asking for this favor. And what do they think they're asking? Okay, Jesus, you're going to establish this kingdom. You're going to kick out the Romans. You're going to have this earthly kingdom. And I want my sons to be in charge. Right? That's what it is. I want my sons to be your right and left-hand guys. They're going to be the ones who are sort of in this new kingdom. They're going to have positions of power. And of course, he says, that's ridiculous. You don't even know what you're talking about. You you don't know what you're asking. You're not able to to drink the cup that I'm about to drink. He's talking, of course, about sacrifice. Now, it's interesting. He does say, yeah, you'll drink the cup. Not how you think about it, but you're going to suffer and maybe die in my service. But what you're asking is not mine to give. Who's going to be in charge? Matthew 20, verse 24. Now when the other ten heard this, they were angry with the two brothers. Of course. Who, what makes you think you're so much better than us? Why are you going to get to be in charge? Why not us? Why not Peter or Matthias? Well, Matthias is not there yet. Why not Andrew or whoever? There's an arrogance, isn't there, to what they're talking about. They were angry with the two brothers. Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. I'm so much better than you. And those in high positions use their authority over them. It must not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. This is the first use of the word diakonos. The word that is typically transliterated as deacon, but more generically translated as servant. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This is the verb form, verb, uh, yeah, the verb form of the same noun here. And to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the prime, again, using the Greek word diakonos, servant And we all follow his footsteps in serving others. This statement made specifically to the 12, right? The 12 apostles, not limited to them. In the kingdom, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. To follow in the example of Jesus, who is in charge, who has authority, who has all power, who is the best that ever lived. And yet what did not come to be served but to serve And to give his life a ransom for many. This word typically used to denote the generic concept of serving God. Of doing things on behalf of another. Here it is on behalf of God. Here Jesus acted on behalf of who? Well, yes, on behalf of God, but also on behalf of them. On behalf of us. Serving us in his sacrifice. Peter uses this word later on. 1 Peter 4, 8-11. Above all, keep your love for one another fervent because love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve. The same word here. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Whoever speaks, let it be with God's word. Whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies so that in everything God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. To him belong the glory and the power. When, when they ask, let us sit at your right hand and at your left, they're thinking about their glory. Glory for me. Glory for us. But only to him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. And so we think about this word steward. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Have you received a gift of God? Yes, you have. Some of you are, are not sure how to answer that. You have received a gift of God. Probably multiple, in fact. Now, we can think about that gift in a number of different contexts and forms. Maybe it's monetary. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's energy. Maybe it's ability. Maybe it's talent. Maybe it's circumstance. Whatever. I don't know what it is. I don't know what exactly you've got going on in your life. But I know that you are a recipient of God's grace. You've received that from him. And as a steward, that is one who manages what belongs to another. That's what a steward is, right? One who manages what belongs to somebody else. What does he say? Use those gifts to serve. Here's our word again. The Son of Man came to be a servant. We are to serve one another with the things that God has given us. And again, the question then becomes, who is expected to serve one another? Anyone who's received a gift of God is expected to serve. That's you, that's me, right? We all are expected to serve. And so it is unusual then, considering the generic meaning of this word diakonos, the importance of service in the life of every Christian, it is strange when Paul suddenly uses it in a very specific way. This word diakonos, which we, again, think about the word deacon here, it's unusual that it's used by Jesus and Peter and, and Paul and other places too as this sort of generic idea of doing things on behalf of another, of serving one another. And then we read passage like 1 Timothy 3. Deacons, servants, same word, likewise must be dignified, not two-faced, not given to excessive drinking, Greedy for gain, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These must also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons. It's interesting, he's got the verb and then the noun, right? Let them serve as servants is essentially what he's saying here. If they are found blameless, likewise their wives must be dignified, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in every respect. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons gain good standing for them, uh, for themselves, and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this comes, we just read the, the few verses before this in 1 Timothy 3 in class, talking about overseers or elders, here we see uh, a sort of a, it seems to be an official position in the church, right? As servant. And if everyone is supposed to serve, how can there be restrictions, gendered restrictions, no less, on who can be a servant? What's going on here? Jesus talks about service as something everybody does. Peter talks about service as something everybody does. So what is Paul talking about here? This idea of this word deacon the servant who is restricted. There's restrictions placed upon, qualifications placed upon who can do this, who can serve as this particular job. First Timothy 3, 14 through 16. We keep reading in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, yeah, 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these instructions. What instructions? Well, generically all the instructions in First Timothy, but in this particular context, the instructions about who can be an overseer, who can be a deacon, I'm writing these instructions to you in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. Because it is the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. And we agree. Our religion contains amazing revelation. He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed upon in the world, and taken up in glory. This sort of poetic statement of our our belief in Jesus. Paul's concern here is establishing how the church should operate after the apostles are all gone, right? I'm writing these things to you. I may not get back to you. Of course, he knows he's about to die. All the other apostles, they're going to die soon, too. Timothy, Titus, other people in that position are going to have to persist after they're all gone. How should the church operate? These are instructions for how people ought to operate in the group, right? These are instructions for the collective, the church, the household of God, the gathered people. When he is gone, what is Timothy expected to do? How should the church operate? And so it seems to be that the deacon, the servant was a servant, a generic servant, who served in a specific, officially recognized capacity in the church. Again, the word sometimes is referred to, and we'll read some more of these in just a minute, the word is sometimes used to describe just generic serving other people. But in this context seems to be something a little more specific than that. Somebody who is going to serve the church in a specific capacity, an official capacity, in the household of God, right? In the church of the living God. Well, they need to be what? They need to be like this. They need to be like this. Can't just be anybody. It has to be this kind of person. Now, congregation is like any other group that is called together for a common purpose. Again, remember the word church? A group of people gathered together for a common purpose. While there is an overall purpose to the church, that is to glorify God, that's our overall purpose, there are several ways to do that, right? There's a lot of different ways we glorify God. Worship, teaching, benevolence, fellowship, Bible classes, food drives, VBSs, whatever you want to put in there, all feed into the same purpose, that is to glorify God. But you think about worship and teaching and benevolence and these different things, they are accomplished differently. They don't all have the same mechanics, right? They don't all have the same form. They're different ways of accomplishing the same goal. But they are themselves different. They are unique, And to facilitate the different aspects of congregational purpose, the Spirit directed the apostles, i.e. Paul and Peter, to establish some organization, including, as we looked at last week, the position of overseer, and, as we're looking at this week, the position of, quote-unquote, deacon, who are organizing and facilitating and directing the efforts of all of our service, right? Because we're all supposed to serve, We're all supposed to be serving as as we have received a gift of grace, serving one another. That's that's not just the guys that are like this, that's everybody. But they are organizing our efforts. The one who is, quote unquote, in charge of the service is simply facilitating the service of the members. Just like we talked about in Bible class the apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers what are they doing? teaching, conveying the word of God, so that the members may do the work of the ministry. Same word, Ephesians 4 verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of service. Same word, diaconos, the work of the ministry. And we see the example of this in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, In those days when the disciples were growing in number, a complaint rose upon the part of the Greek-speaking Jews against the native Hebraic Jews because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that would be the apostles, right, called the whole group of disciples together and said, It is not right for us to neglect the Word of God to wait on tables, because they're the ones that were given to equip the saints with teaching. But carefully select from among, yourself, or from among you brothers seven men who are well attested, full of the Spirit and wisdom, who we may put in charge of this necessary task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry, same word, service of the Word. The proposal pleased the entire group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, Nicholas, a Gentile converted, uh, a Gentile convert to Judaism from Antioch. They stood before these men, uh, they stood these men before the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on them. Here we see in function what this looks like. Who did the literal work of distributing the food? That's what's happening here, right? They're distributing the food to the Gentiles, or to the widows. Uh, They they need food, and so they're sort of setting up this sort of food delivery service. How many Christians are there at this point? Thousands. Thousands of Christians. Now, not all of them are widows, of course. Whatever we could do the law of percentages to figure out how many that is. But how big is the city of Jerusalem? Pretty big. Jerusalem's not a small city. I'm going to suggest to you that these six guys— Could not do the work by themselves. They just couldn't. They could not. They could not literally carry the food all across Jerusalem to all these widows. My suspicion is that they probably passed that work on to other people. They were organizing the work, right? Because that was a problem. The problem was one of organization. Some of the widows were being overlooked. I don't know how that happened. You think about, okay, you've got this food that they've gathered. And and of course, we know from earlier that people are are giving a lot of money to the church or giving a lot of things to the church. And and those things need to be distributed to people. And, And somehow, as they were distributing those things, they weren't doing a very good job of making sure that everybody who needed it got what they needed. They needed some organization, some leadership, some directing in their efforts. And so they selected these six guys to be in charge. That's the word that he used, right? to put in charge of this necessary task. Does that mean that they were the only ones doing the work? No, of course not. But it did mean that they were responsible for making sure that the work that was done was done well and it was done right. That is the job of a deacon. To direct, not to replace, not to supplant, to direct the service of all of the Christians, in these particular areas. Now, in this particular job, it was to make sure that the widows got the food that they needed. But we can think about any number of things that the church does that need to be done in a church, in a congregation, in a group of people. There needs to be some direction, some leadership, some organization. And so even as diakonos was starting to be used in a very specific way, Paul starts using this word diakonos to describe this official designated servant. It was still being used in a generic sense, to describe the work of all kinds of Christians. Christians who still were called servants, but were not serving in that particular capacity. Romans 16, 1 and 2, Now I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant, this is the same word, of the church in Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and provide her whatever help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many, including me. She was serving. Colossians 1, 7 through 8, this is, uh, you learn the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow slave, a faithful minister. This is the same word, diakonos, servant, a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, who also told you, uh, told us of your love in the spirit. Phoebe, a servant of Christ, a servant of the church, rather. Uh, Epaphras, a servant of Christ. Now, they had specific things they were doing. They were doing different stuff. Phoebe was a uh, almost a patron. She's called patron in some other places. This idea that she was she was sort of helping people with monetary or physical things. She obviously had stuff to give, and she was sort of helping people in those whatever jobs they were doing. Epaphras he was an evangelist. He was teaching. He was sharing the message of the word. But he's still called a servant because what did Peter say? As each has received a gift. Use it to serve. Maybe that gift is money. Maybe you're like Phoebe. Maybe that gift is teaching. Maybe you're like Epaphras. Maybe that gift is you're such a super strong person. You could use that to serve others. Maybe your gift is you're really good with numbers. Maybe you could use that to serve others, right? People need help with their finances. Oh, taxes are the worst, guys. But maybe you're good at that. I don't know. You could use that to serve others. Timothy is also called a servant. 1 Timothy 4, 6, By pointing out such things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, having nourished yourself on the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. What does this mean as we wrap it up? Well, Paul did direct Timothy in how to think about the official role of deacon. We can't limit our thinking of service to that particular role. It is a role that exists. It is a role that is important. It is a role that we have. Several guys who do. I'll ask you to stand in just a moment. You didn't know I was going to do that. But what does John 12 tell us? John 12, 26. If anyone, not just guys who are meeting this list of qualifications, if anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me and where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You, are a servant. Now, let me rephrase that. You should be a servant. It's easy for us, we have the office of overseer, we have the office of deacons, we have all these guys who are in charge of stuff. It's easy for us to think, well, I'll just let them do it. That's not what Jesus expects of you. Right? That's not what Peter expects of you that you're just going to delegate your responsibility to other people. He expects you and me to serve on behalf of others, to do things for other people, specifically for God, but for the benefit of those around us. And to direct our efforts in that, we have several men in our congregation who are designated like they were in Acts chapter 6. We have several men in this congregation who the elders have designated over several aspects, specific aspects of Christian service. If you're a deacon, please stand right now. Matt's in the back. You can't see him, but he's back there. Uh, We have Bob. Where's Greg? I thought Greg was here. Oh, there he is. Greg back there. Some of them are not here today, but that's okay. We have these guys who want to help you serve. They don't want to do it for you. They want to help you do it, right? Right? That's what we're supposed to do, is all of us serving together, just like me. I'm teaching you, but I don't want to do your Christian service for you. I want to equip you to do it yourself, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Because only the one who serves is a follower of Christ. Now, you can delegate that to the deacons. You can delegate that to the elders. You can delegate it to me. But then you yourself are not following Christ. He expects all of us who will follow to serve. We are supposed to do the work. The goal is that every Christian will be good stewards of the gifts that God has given them to serve with the strength that God supplies. This includes you. I want to be abundantly clear about that. We have deacons who are, are, we use that list that Paul gave to Timothy to decide who should be a deacon. But the elders decide who should be a deacon over what. What what aspects of congregational service should they be in charge of? Again, in Acts 6, they were in charge of a very particular thing. We have deacons who are in charge of different things. But that does not exclude the rest of us from doing service in the kingdom of God. Doing things that God wants us to do. The promise then... For those who choose to serve God is what? Hebrews 6, 10 through 12. For God is not unjust as to forget your work and the love you have demonstrated for his name in having served and continuing to serve the saints. But we passionately want each of you, I passionately want each of you, to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of your hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. Who are you imitating? Ultimately, yes, Jesus, I understand. But we read last week to imitate our leaders, the overseers, the elders. I would recommend that you might imitate the deacons, those who are serving in an official capacity in this congregation. Why? To persevere, until you inherit the promise to continue to serve the saints. And the promise is what? If you continue to do that, God's not going to forget. God recognizes. Now, we have these guys who are serving in a sort of an official capacity, but God sees when you serve. It's not like only their service counts. God's counting yours, too. He remembers the things that you do. He notices the things that you're doing And promises that you, too, will inherit the things that are promised to those who love him. If, if, and only if, we continue to serve. So as we offer the invitation today. If you're here, this isn't really an evangelistic sermon. But I do want to offer the invitation if you're not part of the congregation, part of this church, part of the Lord's body. We know how to do that, right? To turn from our sin, to confess him before men, to be immersed into Christ. But more directed, an invitation for you in this audience, because I suspect most of you are already Christians. An invitation to serve. There are things that need done. Things that you could do. If you're ready. Come while we stand and sing.